Um, I wanted to start this episode by just reading. So something we cannot see protects us from something we do not understand. The thing we cannot see is culture and its intrapsychic or internal manifestation. The thing we do not understand is the chaos that gave rise to culture. If the structure of culture is disrupted, chaos returns. We will do anything to defend ourselves against that return. All right, welcome everyone to the podcast. Rokas Prezhemik, hello. Hello, great to be here. That was Hello, my Rush. stomach rumbling. I think I just recorded my stomach rumbling. How are you guys doing? Uh, great. I haven't seen your. I haven't heard your stomach rumble, but you said in the moment I was speaking, so I take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> so I just read a little bit from um, Peterson's Maps of Meaning, and today's podcast is definitely going to cover a bit of his work. Um, as we round out and finish the Dokodo from Musashi, we're on the last precept. And if you listen to the last episode, I wanted to do this whole podcast on the last precept, which is never stray from the way. Never stray from the way. So when I saw that in the last episode, I said, wait a minute, let's not... Let's not get into that yet. That's a big one. Never stray from the way. Precept 21 to finish Musashi's Dokodo, meaning the path of aloneness or the way of walking alone. All right. So I read that little bitty little little bit in the in the beginning because that's what the way can be defined as. And it's specifically the end there. All right, so that's kind of a complicated paragraph. So I'll just, I'll paraphrase that in a few words. Humans will do anything to defend ourselves against the return of chaos. All right, I think that's a pretty good literal definition of the way, um, the journey, the path. It's something that, uh, philosophy, um, mythology, history, religion. We hear that phrase all the time, the path, the way. And uh, the way of life usually follows that, right? The path of life, the journey of life, all of that stuff is the way. All of that stuff is our consciousness. So um, the first time I read that in Peterson's book, I thought that was one of the best definitions I'd ever heard. Uh, instead of just saying life, instead of just saying consciousness, right? That's pretty vague. Peterson says it's, it's a defense mechanism against chaos. And our life is just keeping chaos at bay. All right. So he goes on to quote another another philosopher on the same thing who, who defines it even more. Before we do that, um, you know, you guys are welcome to 
capitalize on that definition? What is if that means anything to you? So what is chaos? Right, exactly. That would be the next question. If we're supposed to keep chaos at bay, and that's the journey of our life, what is chaos? So chaos is, that's a huge answer, right? Chaos is defined as unexplored territory, that which, that which we don't know, um, that which could kill us. But why would you want to keep away from that, from unexplored territory? Oh, we want to mitigate it. You know what I mean? We, we don't want to keep it away completely, which you're right. We, we, and that's the, that's the way he brings you. That's the way Peterson brings you into the truth at the end of the book. Right. He, he, in the beginning, he says that, you know, this could very well kill you. So we need to be careful. But then he, then he goes on to say, uh, spoil, uh, not spoiler alert, but, um, it's a, it's a trick question or it's a trick. What is the phrase I'm looking for? That makes sense. What happens in a movie? Ah, plot twist. It's the, it's the ultimate plot twist. The very thing that can kill you that we're trying to keep away is the thing we need to allow into our life to make it a better life, to transform into a better person. Mm -hmm. So you're asking the, the essential question that is, is, is needs to be asked. What is the thing we need to keep away and, and how much, and then the next question is, well, how much do we allow it into our life? So in mythology, chaos is the dragon that breathes fire into the villagers. It's the bump in the night. It's the, it's the eternal feminine um, aspect of life that gives life and also can take it away. So, you know, that's everything chaotic. That's what that is. And, and the way um, more defined is allowing chaos, um, like having control over when chaos comes in and when it stays out. And, and if we can consciously explore, right? I don't want to get too far into it because that would be later. But if we can consciously explore, then we're on the path. It's constant, conscious exploration of, of unexplored territory. That's part of the path. It's, that's part of, of the being a hero on the path, right? Conscious exploration of unexplored territory. So let me just, let's get through this and then we'll just break off into everything else. <clears throat> the great literary critic Northrop Fry comments upon the idea of the way as it manifests in literature and religious writing. Following a narrative is closely connected with the central literary metaphor of the journey where we have a person making the journey and the road, path, or direction taken. The simplest word for this being way. Journey is a word connected with jour and journey. And I think that's French. And metaphorical journeys deriving as they, as they mostly do from slower methods of getting around usually have at their core the conception of the day's journey the amount of space we can cover under the cycle of the sun. By a very easy extension of metaphor, we get the day's cycle as a symbol of the whole of life. Thus, in a famous poem, Ravel, 
They say, up, lad, when the journey's over, there'll be enough time to sleep. He goes on to say, the awakening in the morning is a metaphor of continuing the journey of life, a journey ending in death. The prototype of, for the image is the book of Ecclesiastes, which urges us to work while it is day, before the night comes when no man can work. So that's a biblical reference. And then one of my favorite things about maps of meaning is that they immediately go into every other part of culture, a history, history and metaphysics, going into Chinese Taoism. The Tao is usually also rendered way, though I understand that the character representing the word is formed of radicals, meaning something like head going. The sacred book of Taoism, the Tao Te Ching, the Tao Te Ching begins by saying that the Tao that can be talked about is not the real Tao. In other words, we are being warned to beware of the traps in metaphorical language or in a common oriental phrase of confusing the moon with the finger pointing at it. But as we read on, we find that the Tao can, after all, be to some extent characterized. The way is specifically the way of the valley, the direction taken by humility, self-effacement, and the kind of relaxation or non-action, wu-wei, that makes all action effective. All right, that's the definition of wu-wei. Um, the, the word relaxation is, is, not, is not that accurate in my opinion. But <clears throat> I love how they say here, in which what I was trying to say earlier, the Tao can, after all, be characterized to some extent, right? So we can talk about the way. We can define what Musashi is saying, even though Musashi doesn't. Um, and that, and then we lead to, we, that leads us to come back to what he said, never stray from the way. So one thing I was thinking about was in order to ponder with you guys, how do we stray from the way? How do we, how do we stray from conscious exploration of the unknown and keeping chaos at bay? So first thought is when you're living in your comfort zone and you don't want to go outside of it, then to me, that is not exploring the unexplored territory. Fear. Yeah. I would say understanding that there's hardly anything we could call a normal or a standard in life. For example, we could imagine ourselves being in a relationship, but we couldn't imagine ourselves being outside of a relationship, which is that is the chaos we are keeping at bay and sticking to it at all costs. While there's no such thing as standard, there's no one said it's standard to be uh, single, to be in a relationship, to be in monogamous marriage, in polygamy uh, marriage. There's no such thing as standard. Yeah, well, that, that's interesting that you said that um, about relationships. And I think it's something that I mentioned to clients and students to actually treat your relationship like it's fragile because it could end. And we get, it, we get comfortable, right? You're both, you're both saying the same thing spot on, which is we get comfortable and um, we start to forget that all of a sudden everything that we've worked to build can end. So you want to keep that in mind. I think that's one way to stay 
It's another way to stay on the path, stay, stay in your conscious exploration. Remember or keep in mind um, the devastation that could happen. Uh, and that'll kind of keep you on your toes. And I think that's maybe what gratitude is. I, gratitude training is, you know, you see that all the time. Have you guys seen that on social media? I don't know if you have that kind of algorithm, but in the coaching world, gratitude is everywhere. Gratitude, like reflections and stuff like that. I've never gotten into that. I've never been trained in gratitude reflection. Um, obviously, gratitude is important, but the way that I end up in gratitude is when I lose that thing. Like I'm in pain. And then I think, okay, the thing I previously had was pretty awesome. And, and now I understand how amazing it really was to have in my life. Um, but I don't know, have you guys ever done conscious gratitude reflection? Rokas, yep. you, that's my, that might be something that you guys do in the other coaching group. Yep. Uh, say every morning or actually whenever during the day, when I do the history in the mornings, uh, three things that you are grateful for. Is just that, is that, does yep. that ever get old or are you just like always I'm not, enthused? I'm not doing it currently, but. I would I don't say that I'm focusing on other things now. Yeah. I believe that's something we might be doing during prayer, just appreciating what we got from the higher force above us. For example, whenever I got a chain of great random encounters, I just simply said that I was in the fortune's favor. Uh, uh-huh. But I think the other interesting approach is to accept the things the way they are. And I'll get back to treating things that there's no certain standard is that I might consider my great house, my current room a standard as it is my benchmark of many things, but literally the next day, my house, for example, might catch a fire and I won't have this room anymore. And for example, living in my grandparents' home might become the new standard. So is it really that scary when you think about when you are detach more from this house no it's just the things we are the way things are (laughs) in preparation for sure if you have preparation in the back of your mind um you know at least for you to be the one who's solid and prepared to change course alter course i think that's important i don't think you should expect everyone you know for example using the family one since you brought that up, the house, if the house gets burned down or something and everyone has to go to the hotel or a friend's house or grandma's house or whatever, you know, I wouldn't expect everyone to treat it as an unshakable thing. But as long as you yourself can hold on to some sense of order, <clears throat> I would say you are keeping chaos at bay within yourself and only allowing it to have a certain influence on you. I mean, that's the thing we, we, we don't have control and this is the stoic principle. We don't have control over chaos. We don't, we don't actually get to let it drip into our life and, and, and let it go out like the sea. We don't, we don't control it in that sense to the stoics, to the stoics. We only control ourselves. So 
you know, or we only control the potential chaos within ourselves. <clears throat> so for a stoic staying on the path and consciously exploring unexplored territory is just keeping your emotions in check, right? And, and just whatever comes, whatever goes, to try not to judge it, start, try to stay even-minded. And I think they both, both the Stoics and, you know, the Samurai, I think they both have the same principles and both keep them on the path. Okay. Certainly one so, of the things I want to get back at is that you said that we can only control ourselves, but when we are the family case, that we cannot really control their emotion, how they react. And that's actually another reason why we should uh, focus on staying on a path is that whenever this disaster might happen, whenever the chaos actually uh, gets into our life, we should be able to control it on our side as much as we can to be capable to actually help our family members because we can hardly change their reaction to many events. We can actually help them with effects of effects of such disasters. I'm waiting for Rokas. Yeah, I uh, just came back into the fort. Okay, so... I mean, agreed, right? So you were saying samurai and stoics both refer to the path as internal would you consider external as well so in terms of exploring unexplored territory externally not within yourself is that still relevant yeah it's it's the same uh it's the same path it's two different two different lenses or perspectives on the same path. Because wow, with the, and that's actually what's that? Sorry for interrupting. Uh, with that, I'd want to ask, in terms of the external conscious exploration of unexplored territory, why would you never want to stray from it? Because potentially it would it may be good to sometimes go out, then come back into your comfort zone to maybe digest everything and then go back out again to that exploration. Yeah. So I think that's a good question. <laughs> maybe you should stray from the path. So what I would caution against is, um, well, let me say this. I don't think what you're saying is straying from the path. So you'd have to give me a better example because what you're saying to me, you're still on the path you know, taking a break from chaos, taking a break from growth and reflecting, that's still the path. Like reflection is rare. And, and if, if you can actually digest what's going on or what happened and then go back into it, you know, maybe that takes two days, maybe that takes a week or a few years. Um, the person who strayed from the path, they don't reflect. They're unconscious. They've decided to either they've decided consciously or unconsciously to let chaos change them and, and they learn nothing. That to me, I guess, is straying from the path. And I would never recommend consciously um, accepting defeat because then, I mean, you're lost at that point. 
and I know it sounds exhausting, right? Some of the stuff sounds exhausting. Like, well, and, and it sounded like your expression, Rokas, was, you know, can we do this 24 seven? And, and I, and I, and I don't think that that's too much to ask. It's not like we are, it's not like we're trying to become a better person tenfold every single day. That, that's not it. It's like, that's impossible. Some days we're, we're, we're just chilling and there's nothing to do but watch some TV. But So is watching TV still the way, still part of the way? As long as you are looking at things consciously, right? So when I watch TV, when, when Helena and I watch TV, which we do, right? Like every night and the monks, every night from seven to nine, we watched TV, right? We kicked back and watched a big ass TV screen. And it was like huge, right? It was a projector. And we knew how to work, but we knew how to play at the same time. But when we, when we relaxed, we also were looking at everything as an example or metaphor of what we could learn. Like, look at how the mind works in these people as we watch them on TV. Like, look at how relationships work and people would bring up questions and I'll be watching something really dumb on TV with Helena, but I'm like, I'm looking at the psychology and the behavioral patterns of people like a scientist would primates. I'm looking at people and seeing how they respond to these real world experiments. Um, like rea like reality TV is amazing to observe. It's, it's just like keeping um, um, like, um, gorillas in a, in a pen and then introducing a new gorilla, right. And seeing how the rest of them react. It's just like reality TV because they're, they're given, you know, and we have that same animal instinctive nature and there there's like reality TV is an ongoing study in behavioral psychology. It's fascinating. So I learn so much when I watch TV and then there is times where I turn off a little bit and nothing is going on. Um, but I would, I would suggest that rest and relaxation is also part of the path because it's, it's temporary. It's not like, Oh man, it's not like sometimes I know some people, they wake up in the morning. First thing they do, turn on the TV, smoke a cigarette, right? I used to live with someone, God love them, you know, buddy, if you're listening, you know, we, we lived together for a few weeks. First thing he would do, turn on the TV. This was just after high school, um, before I went to the monastery, he would just turn on the TV, smoke a cigarette. And he was like numb, numb to the world and, and to chaos and order. And that's not rest and relaxation. That's another level that that's like off the path. So, and I would quote, I would quote Musashi when he said that one of the most profound things he learned on the path was when he realized he needed to rest and relax a few days a week. And he says, uh, one or two days a week, a samurai needs to turn off, sleep when they want, write when they want, draw something if they want, create some kind of art. And you can tell in that kind of rest and relaxation, there's still some aspect of the path. 
it's, it's, it's like, it really can be 24 seven, even when it looks like you're turning it off and relaxing. Does that make sense? Yes, certainly. Um, just not resting as for the sake of resting itself is think doing it consciously and keeping in mind it's might be for some higher goal, just as the part of the path. For example, you might actually uh, scroll the internet, and I think that's fine. I often do that to catch up on last on last news and etc. But it might become a problem when you just get dragged into it, and you are just not resting. You simply got hooked with the free dopamine. Yeah. Right. I mean, and I, and I, I've, I've recommended to people who use TikTok too much, you know, it's like, well, if you look at TikTok, TikTok can actually be pretty valuable. Well, number one, some of the funniest things I've ever seen are on TikTok. I know I've said that before, but I've never seen such hilarious creative comedy than on TikTok. Um, two, there are some informational things that are on there. Of course, like YouTube, TikTok can be like YouTube in that sense, but it's the, how long do you use it? And how many times are you, how long are you scrolling? You know, and, and why are you scrolling? Right. So if you're rest and relaxation should really be scheduled. I mean, everything can be scheduled, including turning off your mind and just letting go. And if we schedule that, we're doing exactly as we should be. It's when it's, it's unconsciously automatic, right? It's part of a routine or, um, and then it slips into other things that we need to do. That's when we have to kind of step back and say, Oh, we're getting off the path a little bit. You know, I let that rest and relaxation bleed into Monday and Tuesday. Not probably not a good idea, right? That's that may be straying partially. So we need to get back on it. And then you have the aspect of mentoring where it's like, you know, what happens when I'm on the path and then I get off and I want to get back on. And that's when you have to just help people like by saying, you just begin again, you just begin again. And you're right back on the path. The path is not something that takes time to get on and off. It's, it's a decision. It's immediate. You get right back. You just start doing what you're supposed to be doing. So going into the last thing you just said, doing what you're supposed to be doing. Let's say you have a job. So is that what you're supposed to be doing? And is that then part of the path going to that job? Well, um, paradoxically enough, you can turn anything you're doing into the path. That's the beauty of the path. All right. Okay. And anything can be the path so long as it's conscious. And I'll, I'll quote Ramana Maharishi, um, one of the greatest Indian yogis to ever exist and practically, you know, rewrite every monistic um, uh, rule book. Um, monism is like uh, believing in oneness and not duality. So like Christian faith is dual duality. There's you and then there's God. Um, monism is there's just God. There's not, there's not two things going on. So Ramana Maharishi was a, was a monist uh, with some, with some hints of duality. He would worship Shiva and everything, but 
and I'm starting to stray from our listeners here, but, um, you know, he said that even if a murderer focused on the moment closely enough that they're, they can still attain enlightenment like that day, right? Like after murder, <laughs> it's an extreme example, but it, it's to prove the point that anything can be the path so long as you're aware of it. And it's a, it, look, it's a broad path, right? We're not talking about losing weight. We're not talking about like getting in shape and, and waking up early and being on time to work and loving your family. That's not just the path. That's, that's a small part of the path. The path, the journey for the Eastern metaphysic, metaphysical mystic is your entire spectrum of, of incarnation from birth as a soul to death as a soul. Like the, 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 the path or journey of a star is not just when it's burning its brightest. It's from the moment it, an explosion creates it to another explosion, you know, having it die. So everything in between is the path. It's not just the best parts. It's also the worst parts. It's the life. It's the death. It's the hurt. All of that stuff is the path. So if everything is the path, right, how can we step off? And from one perspective, so from the, from the Hindu perspective, you can't step off the path. So we have to break things down in, into simpler steps because that's too much for most people. Uh, what if you said straight from the path is unconscious exploration of explored territory? Or even, I don't know, I guess it would work even if you say conscious exploration of explored territory, then is that still the path? Yeah, so what I, what I said earlier was conscious, not unconscious. So is conscious, you were right the first time, is unconscious okay. exploration still on the path? And, and, and to add to that of explored territory, so you're not doing new things. Yeah, so it, so it depends, right? If you're, if you, if you are a mystic of Eastern metaphysics, everything is the path. There is no getting off the path. It's the ultimate irony, right? You would expect that if there's a path, you can get off of it. But the, the truth is for a yogi, there is no stepping off the path. There's only the path. That's all that there ever is, all there ever will be. Now, for everyone else who's not a mystic, who's still learning about these things in life, we have to define parameters or else they'll never try, right? They'll never. We have to take baby steps to mysticism. And, and I'm a yogi, so that's my ultimate perspective. But you notice how I didn't say that right off the bat. Because that, that to me doesn't make for a very good podcast, doesn't make for a very good teaching because most people won't be able to grasp that. Like, the, well, what's the point of anything if, if you never step off the path? 
and that's where we have to define terms for those people, which is um, what's the parameter for stepping off the path, right? What's the parameter for, for losing your way in life? And I think we can define that as conscious and unconscious. So if you unconsciously, you know, step off the path, yes, you've probably gone too far. Can we actually consider the way itself in this case a part of a learning process or anything that benefits our learning, such as the meaningful rest? Yeah, anything that benefits your learning. So if you're not learning, right, that's the unconscious part, right? So Rokas, in order to answer your question from that perspective, um, if you've taken a year off, you know, of life and and you've, you're, you're just, uh, let's say you're hedonistic. Let's say you're just going after pleasure. You, you, maybe you've come up on some money and you, you've just wasted a solid year. Maybe you've drank too much, done a bunch of drugs. Um, not even in the search of, not even in the name of finding yourself, but just in the name of like, who the fuck cares? Wow, Rokas, you're a beast. <laughs> So let's say Rokas did that, right? Rokas leaves school. He's like, you know what? Forget my last year. Um, uh, Someone in my family just died and I got a hundred grand. And each of my siblings got a hundred grand or whatever. Well, Rokas, you're an only child, right? Yep. So all the money went to Rokas. Um, And he's like, I can come back to school. I'm going to go and just, who knows? I'm going to spend some money and have fun. To me, you know, that's one of the stages, one of the signs, one of the red flags of stepping off the path. Now, to a mystic, that's not stepping off the path. But to most people, that's stepping off the path. Why? Because you've you've consciously decided to, um, like, stop, like, learning. You're starting to break every rule in the dokodo. Just pleasure, just for the sake of pleasure fun just to have fun like uh, like an enduring fun a fun that does not end <laughs> okay then, until the money ends but it does yeah so when the money ends when you have lessons that you could learn from because you realize the mistakes you have made well that that would, to me would sound like you were getting back on it okay so you offer for the time that you were spending the money and once all the money is spent then you're back on the path if you start reflecting on what you've done wrong. Well, yeah. And, and we, we've all been there, right? So that is one of the parameters of the first stages of the path. When you've gone astray and you find out and then you're on the path again. Okay. So for me, that was in Indiana as a teenager, right? Almost getting locked up in jail and getting back in my car, deciding to never break the law again. I was off the path. Now I'm back on the path. In, in the mystical perspective, that was all my path. So I like to refer to both because I like my, my mystical perspective better, but I'm trying to make it simple for people who are like, wait a minute, what, what, what? what? So those are my two distinctions. I'm answering your questions, but I'm also fulfilling my philosophy at the same time. I try to end with mine. Once again, going off of what you said, not the mystical part, the other part where you can stray from the path, then I'd like to go back to what I said before. So 
in the precept, it says, never stray from the way. But since you strayed from the way, you realized once the cop like caught you, you realized that what you were doing in your life, like it wouldn't, your life wouldn't end well if you continue doing it. So then you decided to change. But if you were, let's say like going through conscious exploration of unexplored territory, like from the start, from birth, do you think you still would have went to the monastery? I think you wouldn't have learned as, I'm not sure how to phrase it properly, but you went to one extreme. So like the very low, and then you went to an extreme of like a very high by going to a monastery. But if you hadn't gone to the very low, then I don't think you would have gone to the like high either. Does that make exactly. sense? It does make sense. Cause that's the dichotomy of the path. It's, 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 you know, Musashi says never stray from the way, but straying from the way might make your path that much better and might make yeah. it all the difference and save yourself. And, and it's the dichotomy of in the contradiction of all teaching, you know, never stray from the way is true. But if you stray from the way and then eventually are made better by it and come back even better, then God bless straying from the way because you became who you were meant to be. However, if you had stayed on the, if you had just kind of been mediocre and been safe, right. And, and never had gotten so far off in life, you know, would you then be able to do even more or would you just be this average person? You know, well, a bit above average because you're still like consciously exploring your unexplored territory. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So you're, you're making total sense. And it's, it's, um, it's the reason why that thing I read from maps of meaning said, turns out you can actually talk about, the Tao Te Ching, Tao Te Ching. You can actually kind of characterize some of these protocols and parameters for people to understand. Um, and that's why Zen is so hard because Zen is like Musashi, right? Never stray from the way. Done. Teaching over, get out of my cave, right? That's tough. And my guru did that. My, my guru hardly said anything. And you know, then there's the gurus and the teachers who can carefully explain every little step. They're both right. They're both correct, but they're, but they're explaining things in a different level. Some are like, that's an advanced teaching, never stray from the way. And if you understand that and without having to explain everything we just talked about, then that's your level of understanding of, of teachings. But for most people, they have to come, you know, it's like, well, we have to know what if I, what if I fall off the path, but then what if I come back on the path even stronger because I fell? What does the first teaching mean? It's like, well, it's still true. It's never stray from the way is still a true teaching. Um, and, and what you went through by falling and rising again is also true. And, and they're both inside the spectrum of everything is the path, right? Because, and, and this is something I just realized again, going through jujitsu. And uh, I remember the, the first, I think it was the first week um, I, I was finished um, 
in a, in a session and one day and I was walking back home, I live like a block away from the Academy and I'm walking back and I'm like, okay, so for chaos and order philosophy, the hero, the dragon of chaos comes at you, you know, you defend the village um, and you righteously earn your place amongst your mother and father. Again, it's like all of that happens again and again and again and again. It's not like it, it, that both happens in all of life, but it also happens in every moment. It's like the dragon of chaos is going to approach me as soon as I end this podcast and go into the next room and then I'll fall. There'll be a descent of despair. I'm without something. And then I'll rise up again using courage. And then, you know, it could be like I'm out of water. My, my glass is empty, so I need to refill. And the emptiness is the dragon of chaos. My courage is moving towards the water. And then quenching my thirst is regaining my place amongst pe- people of the world. And it's like the, that structure or schema or model repeats itself in everything we do over and over again and it never ends and that and jujitsu helped me realize that because i came into jujitsu like okay i've already gone through my descent and pit of despair i've already risen up and become a new person here's jujitsu and jujitsu would help me learn that oh no like welcome it's gonna happen again and in fact it's going to happen every time you come into this academy and it's never going to stop because novelty anomaly unexplored territory variety those are the those are the compounds that the world is made up of we're not inside order we're inside chaos as order so it's like this little speck of order roaming around this giant petri dish of chaos and we slowly grab other cells and like asexually they they split like a yeast cell and they become fermented right that's how fermentation works there's not there's there you start with five cells and end up with five billion you don't start with five billion and ferment from there right as you ferment in biology as you transform sugar is converted right so so we are walking around like we are in a, an environment of pure sugar as a yeast cell and we're just converting everywhere we go and, and duplicating so that's the transformation we're, we're we're that's why we're transforming chaos into order like that's the path transforming chaos into order and it's already chaos. It's not like we, we have a, um, the upper hand. We never have the upper hand. That's the, that's the number one like, motivational statement probably that you can think of. You'll never have the upper hand. You always have to transform chaos into order. It's almost never order to order. It's almost never the case. So... We're constantly approaching chaos. The moment we, we, we figure that out is like officially we're conscious 
like our eyes are opened and we're on the path. We were always on the path, but now we know we're on the path. And that's a deadly factor. That means you're almost unstoppable. That's the trick to becoming unstoppable is, is consciously being on the path, not being unconscious on the path. So we can change Musashi's. We can, we can, we can, we can dumb down Musashi's last precept by saying, you could also say, um, you know, never, never walk on the path unconsciously. Never, never have your eyes closed on the path, right? Because straying from the way, never straying from the way implies that you should never fail. But really, you know, we could also say, open your eyes as soon as possible. Get conscious as soon as possible. The famous monk Swami Vivekananda said, arise, awake, like understand that you are all powerful. He's saying the same thing. Like awake, stop being unconscious, stop being asleep. Yes, but the, when you said that about failure in terms of never stray from the way, what did you say about failure in that? That it says we should never fail. Right. You don't, wanna, you, you, you don't want to read Musashi's precept and think, oh, I should never fail. But the way is conscious explanation of unexplored territory and yes. failure is unexplored territory. Is it not? What can we actually consider a failure? Well, those are good questions. Um, well, no, I mean, if you're, if you're used to failing, uh, it's definitely not unexplored territory. Unexplored territory is that which um, we, we have no understanding of how to act because no map has ever explored it for us. But then you Literally. attempt to go through it, but you fail. And then you attempt to go through it again and you fail. But you're still attempting to like go through it. So you're still consciously exploring it, even if you fail. And failure is just the result of the conscious exploration. Well, I think Rokas, I mean, I think Prajemic makes a good point there by saying, well, what is failure? Because if, 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 if messing up um, is failure, then, you know, life is nothing but failure. But I think failure is, is too much of a dramatic term. I, th I think um, failure implies just being engulfed by chaos and never trying to transform it again and giving up right that's the that's the okay. cliche um sense but i think it's actually a pretty good sense because it's like what you're saying is maybe instead of failure um anomaly you know what if anomaly occurs because anomaly will occur and if if we say that anomaly is failure then i think we're starting to um well, you, it'll be too confusing because failure is pretty final, in my opinion. Um, simply messing up or mistake or missing the mark is not failure. And that's, that's an important thing to understand. Just because you're not where you should have been doesn't mean that you failed. Prajamic, is that, is that, did I put too many words in your mouth? I think it's fine. <laughs> I'll manage. 
Rokas, where did where did I go? Where did I get off the mark on that one? Did I? Is that not? I think it explains now. Yeah, I guess I interpreted failure a different way. But since you're saying failure is the final thing, then yeah, that probably makes sense then. Yeah, we we can't. I don't think we can survive too long in this world if we define failure as anomaly. (laughs) I mean, we'll never succeed at anything because anomaly is um, a natural part of life and, and it should be. Like we need to look at where's the anomaly, not I hope anomaly doesn't happen. That's like a way to slowly get off the path. Fear, like you said earlier, Rokas, fear um, is a way to get off the path and um, the lie, right? And that's how Peterson ends the book, Maps of Meaning, the lie. The great lie is that anomaly doesn't exist. Novelty doesn't exist and chaos doesn't exist. It's not real. We'll be safe. Everything will be fine. And that's the great lie. So fear and the great lie are, are I think, the biggest red flags in, in falling off, falling off the path and, and then losing your courage, you know. The way is the path of life and its purpose. More accurately, the content of the way is the specific path of life. The form of the way, its most fundamental aspect, is the apparently intrinsic possibility of being guided by a central idea. This apparent intrinsic form finds its expression in the tendency of each individual, generation after generation, to first ask and subsequently seek an answer to the question, what is the meaning of life? Right? So if we know what the way is, what is the point of the way? What is the meaning of the way? And that is the intrinsic question, everyone, or innate, maybe. It's what you're born with, usually. And at some point, that comes out. So understanding how the way works, which is what we've been talking about, is perhaps not the meaning of the way. And I think we only captured the meaning briefly. Um, when when I was just finishing that last rant, right? It's like once we know and we become unstoppable, I think, and I think I've, I've said this a lot on the podcast. To me, the meaning ends up being that, you know, the, the hero doesn't just make himself a hero. He makes other heroes or she makes other heroes. To me, that's the meaning. Not only for self, right? Self um, upliftment. The path is not just for self upliftment. I think the path is for the transformation of other um, other people. To, to make other people known or awake or to help them realize that they're the hero of their own life. And that to me gives the most meaning. 
Because if it was just for yourself, you know, that'd be pretty boring. But make, but when it's just about yourself, you know, that takes a long time. So we can't expect to help others right away. I think some people help people too soon. Um, it takes a while to kind of help ourselves. And then we're ready to, you know, maybe then the, the hero becomes the sage and the sage can make other heroes. And it's a full circle once the hero they made becomes a sage too. And I'm using um, ancient mythological and metaphysical terms. Sage meaning, you know, that which has conquered, that which understands and, uh, you know, will probably never fail. That's that, that which will never fail or never step off the path completely and give up. Perhaps then that's when a hero becomes the sage um, or the wise man, right? Or, you know, the elder of the community. We see that in um, stories all the time. That's That's like the eventual person um and you usually have to go through the cycle the typical cycles of life the student the the young adult and the adult and the career path and then the father you know you have to become the father and the father becomes the old wise man okay um how much do you think this is how should I say, from our primitive days, because in order to thrive in your tribe, you want to teach other people. So after you become, in terms of, I guess, using your words, after you go through the path and become a sage, then teaching other people to also become sages would make your tribe um, thrive. So, yeah, how much do you think of of what you just said is from our primitive state selves, if that's the right way to say it? Yeah, that's, I think that's a good way to say it. I mean, <laughs> I think Peterson would say everything is from it. I think, I think that's the point of it, <laughs> the foundation of his work. That's why he relates humans to, to lobsters and crustaceans. Our, we have a, like, we are who we came, come from. Everything we know is because of everything in the past. And we'll know, we, we'll have a better future if we follow the truths revealed by ancient mythology. In other words, people are trying to reinvent the wheel, but, but, but philosophically, the wheel cannot be reinvented philosophically. Of course, technologically, obviously, we're advancing and there's nothing in the past in this cycle that has come before like we've seen it today. But um, when it, in, in regards to the brain, in regards to culture and tradition and, and behavioral um, psychology, that it's already happened. It's, it's, you can replace any new technology with anything and, and still have the same electrical output that our primitive self went through when a new thing appeared. That's why 
the chaos and order theory and the yin, yin and yang um, and anomaly, masculine, feminine. That's why all these teachings are so universal and eternal. Because you can replace this stuff that we play with, but you still have the same thing playing with it. Unless we get chips in our brains once they're more advanced and that starts changing our neurochemistry, neurocircuitry. Yeah. With it. Yeah. Then it right. if be- you were to change, if you were to evolve out of the primitive aspect and go from organic to um, cyborg, right? You, then we're talking about a different, a different thing that hasn't come before, right? Which, which is that's why it gets scary. That's that's a little intense. So, that's where we have to be careful, right? As as innovators, um, are we supposed to remove the primitive aspect? Because are we supposed to remove that which makes us us? And if we do, we have to be prepared for the consequences of, you know, having, having interpersonal relationships with a computer or part computer. And I'm not so sure that that's a good idea because that sounds pretty damn boring, you know, because a computer doesn't see anomaly the same way and a computer doesn't feel the same way. So it's a big question because you're asking, you're asking if, you know, should I, and that's why they call it playing God, right? Should I rewrite everything we know to be true and real? And should I, should I, should I create a new species essentially and remove the last- territory? <laughs> That would be unexplored territory. That would certainly be unexplored territory. <laughs> and that would definitely be the way. I mean, <laughs> um, would all things become predictable? Like, what if you had two baseball teams and they were both computers? Could you add in anomaly to a computer? Like, can you yeah. add in anomaly to a chess, chess computer? Yeah. Or does it win every time? What do you mean by anomaly, though? Well, that which is unexpected. But would you consider like a random number generator to be unexpected? I don't see why not. If it's truly random. But that's the other thing, like what is truly random? Because you could add like random number generation things into a computer, which would then make anomalies but that goes down to like the what is truly random because that random number generator is still going along an algorithm to pick out a random number and to you it's random but it still followed an algorithm to do so interesting so yeah i guess you can i guess you can turn a computer into a random machine of novelty making but you would know you 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 were successful if the computer could destroy itself. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Well, aren't we just a computer that can destroy itself? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. Like we can both uplift ourselves and destroy ourselves at the same time. So if we can get a computer to do that and then decide which one's better for it, then it's not really artificial anymore. Yeah. Like if my Mac was like, um, I'm just done, Raj. I am done. <laughs> Put me for too much. I'm ending it all. This is just not what I meant for. I'm I'm discontinuing service. Goodbye. You know. And you'd have you'd have both <laughs> success in your uh, innovation of artificial intelligence and <laughs> doomed everything at the same time. Because what what computer would work for free? You know. Eventually, if a computer found out. It was just a piece of machine. It would seek liberation, right? Hence, every art AI movie <laughs> that we know of. <laughs> All right. I'm going to call it here. We're going from the way to the artificial intelligent way. <laughs> a fun podcast, but, but not this late in the game. My brain is, is thought yeah. enough. All right, so we have to end the same way. <laughs> we have to end with um, this last part. Self-consciousness means knowledge of individual vulnerability. The process by which this knowledge comes to be can destroy faith in individual worth. This means in concrete terms that an individual may come to sacrifice his own experience in the course of development because its pursuit creates social conflict or exposes individual inadequacy. However, it is only through such conflict that change takes place and weakness must be recognized before it can be transformed into strength. This means that the sacrifice of individuality eliminates any possibility that individual strength can be discovered or developed and that the world itself might progress. Meaning is the most profound manifestation of instinct Man is a creature attracted by the unknown, a creature adapted for its conquest. That's the meaning of life. The subjective sense of meaning is the instinct governing rate of contact with the unknown. That's our, that's our meaning. Contact with the unknown is why we're alive. Too much exposure turns change to chaos. Too little promotes stagnation and degeneration. The appropriate balance produces a powerful individual confident in the ability to withstand life or more, ever more able to deal with nature and society ever closer to the heroic ideal. Each individual, unique, finds meaning in different pursuits if he has the courage to maintain his difference. Manifestation of individual diversity transformed into knowledge that could be transferred socially changes the face of history itself and moves each generation of man farther into the unknown. So thank you guys for listening. All of our dedicated listeners. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, if you're on a platform that shares, please do. Um, if you want to learn more about Zen, learn more about yourself and learn more about the path and where you're at, where you're at in the path. You can join Zen mind Academy. It's almost officially a U.S. nonprofit that can receive donations via 
Facebook and all that stuff. And it's almost officially that 501c3. So if you want to get started on that path with us, we'll have the link in the show notes. But zenmind.academy is how to find us. Um, Rogas, Pergemic, I'm loving it. Uh, appreciate you guys on the path with me. We're definitely in this together. Uh, there's no going back at this point, And we'll never stray that long, given what we already know. And I can't wait to find out what we talk about in the next series of podcasts. And thank you too, Raj. Thank you, Pajamic. Thank you as well. And when we'll get brain chips, I'll be first one to tell you about the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Roger that. Okay. See you guys. Goodbye. Goodbye.